Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 159. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. I pray that it's a blessing to you. I also want to give a, a quick hello to the listeners in Canada. I appreciate you guys um, checking in here with this podcast. Um, I hope and pray that you are drawing from it um, important things that you you find beneficial to your spiritual and even just, you know, daily life. So thank you for uh, connecting here through this podcast. So today I want to teach from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. Now, we will read through the text together and then make our way verse by verse through what we can draw from it. And what I want to point out kind of globally through these passages is three stages or unique phases of the Holy Spirit. So we'll have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study, to discover your word. I thank you that it is unchanging in a world full of change. Uh, I pray that you would use this as a way to reach those who may not normally have the opportunity. And I, I just pray that you would multiply it, multiply its reach and its effect, that you would, by your Spirit, do what only He can do. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So first what we'll do is we'll just read. Um, we'll just read through the passage and then we'll just start to unpack things uh, kind of verse by verse as we go. So this is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. And it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him 
until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what I want to show you in today's teaching is the three components or phases of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. So I'll name the three. Number one, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. We find that in verse one. Then number two, Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's found in verse 14. Then lastly, the Holy Spirit upon Jesus for mission. That's found in verse 18. Now, if you find yourself thinking that I'm making too much of the Holy Spirit, then that is exactly the reason that you are in the place you are in. Making much of the Holy Spirit is our only hope for transformation. And remember, the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and follower of Jesus yielded to Jesus' leadership is the only way that we can live victorious life Jesus intended for us. We must walk with and fellowship with the Holy Spirit who has been sent to us after Jesus' ascent to the right hand of the Father. Now we read in chapter 4 of Luke, verse 1, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. But what event came before reading there that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit? Well, just a couple pages back in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 22, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So Jesus was water baptized and as he was praying, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Now, see closely that two events occur here, a water baptism and the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. Now, how do I know that? Well, as Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. 
Now, this would not have been while Jesus was underwater. So he was baptized. And then as he prayed, the Holy Spirit came upon him. So Jesus was filled full of the Holy Spirit. So when we read that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit in chapter 4, verse 1, we now know the context for that fullness. So phase 1, Jesus was filled full of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit descended upon him in the context of his baptism and after prayer. Now notice in verse 1, that Jesus was, quote, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Now sometimes we find ourselves in places of wilderness like Jesus. I'm reminded of the Israelites being judged for their unbelief and had to remain outside of the promised land for 40 years. I remember the time that I realized they were not wandering in the wilderness because they were lost for 40 years. They wandered because they did not have God's blessing to move forward to their purpose. They had hit a pause, so to speak. So they had no choice, and they had to remain for a time where they were. Sometimes it feels like that before moving forward, We find ourselves trapped in this place of waiting, waiting on God, waiting on promises, waiting on change. This waiting could be our own fault, much like it was for Israel because of their unbelief. Or it could be, like we see here with Jesus, because it was his next step. He was led into this wilderness. Some translations use the word, this desert, You could think of it also as a lonely place. There was something here he had to obtain. A crucifixion of the flesh. This 40-day wilderness was the precursor into his ministry. Now I want to propose a thought here. I believe Jesus fulfilled the law in this place. This place of refusing to give way to the devil's temptation is where I believe that Jesus fulfilled the law, where we've been unable. So rather than just being a place where Jesus proved his faithfulness to the Father, I think it was a battleground for humanity. Jesus did there in that wilderness what we could not do for nearly 4,000 years before him. Jesus defeated sin and fulfilled the law. Now, not coincidentally, Noah experienced the flooding rains upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, this parallels a type of flooding out any place of flesh. It is in this 40 days that I believe Jesus encountered every sin known to man and defeated its attempts to lay hold of him. Now in this chapter, we are privy to three particular instances. Now God knows there was more, 
When was the last time the devil tried three times on you over a period of 40 days? Now notice in verse 3 what the devil said to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now the first thing we are privy to is that the devil attempted to get Jesus to doubt his sonship or even more, prove his sonship. Now this is not a new tactic of our enemy. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent caused Adam and Eve to doubt God's care for them as his children. Did God really say, God knows if you eat of it, you will be like him. This is the serpent's ancient technique. Doubt God's intention for you and doubt his word to you. The devil wants Jesus here to prove his sonship. We do this so often by trying to work for God rather than working from God. Every other false religion in the world says do and you may inherit the gift. But God has said through His Son, He has done it. Eternal life is not obtained by doing, only being in Christ. Jesus responds to the devil in verse 4, says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. That's actually from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. What is Jesus saying here in this response? Well, let's look closely at it in Deuteronomy 8. We'll read verses 1 through 3. It says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's so much in this passage, but I fear that we would today persecute Moses as a prosperity preacher today. Listen, obey the commands that I'm giving you so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised. In light of Moses as a prosperity preacher Look also at Deuteronomy 7, 12-15. It says, If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep His covenant of love with you as He swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine, and olive oil the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men and women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. 
The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. That sounds pretty prosperous, wouldn't you say? If these are promises within a lesser covenant, how much more do we have in the new covenant? Hebrews 8, 6, and 7 tells us the new covenant is superior to the old one. Now, are there people who manipulate our new promises for personal gain? Of course. But we should not diminish the promises. When we do, we become robbers of the promises of God. Could you imagine standing before God and Him saying, I have this against you. You robbed your brothers and sisters of better promises. That's pretty fearful. But back to Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. It says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Lord kept them in the wilderness because of unbelief. But here we read that the Lord, that rather the people were to remember the way in which God led them in the wilderness, which was to humble them and to test them so as to know what was in their heart. So that gave us a little additional insight there. Now, do you think that God didn't know what was in their heart? God is all-knowing. No, it showed the person what was in their own heart. Is obedience and humility in your heart? God humbled them, caused them to hunger, then fed them with manna, which they've never seen. Why did God give them manna? It was to teach them that life isn't about keeping the belly full. Do you remember that after a while, they were not happy with the manna? God taught them that bread alone doesn't satisfy. Now, we see this in our lives all the time. When we satisfy our own desires, it never produces lasting satisfaction. When Jesus tells the devil, man does not live by bread alone, he is saying that by filling my belly with bread, it will not produce the fulfillment that only comes from every word that coming from the mouth of the Lord. So does that make you think then of when Jesus told his disciples, I have food to eat that you know nothing about in John 4.32. He tells us his food or Jesus' nourishment, his fullness was to do the will of the Father who sent him. I also want to point out that Jesus' response to the devil's attempt was to quote Scripture. But also notice it was Old Testament Scripture. Sometimes we get so married to this idea that the Old Testament is no longer relevant. Jesus showed us right here 
that it is very relevant. Don't lose sight of the importance of Genesis through Malachi. Now notice in verse 5, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Now, do you remember in the Old Testament and some of the kings of Israel would destroy or leave the high places? This is a place of elevation, places of special honor, places set aside and of special sacred use. This could be a physically high place, or it could be a place that is special and set apart from other places. But I want you to notice the supernatural character of Jesus' encounter. The devil led him up to a high place. How was Jesus led to this high place? Did he walk? Was this by a vision? Was Jesus' spirit translocated? However this happened, it was supernatural because in an instant the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now this could only have been by a supernatural ability because not all kingdoms can be seen from one place. The devil offered authority over the world and their splendor, but what was the price of it? Worship. Once again, Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy for his response in verse 8. Jesus says, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Now this should show us the significance of worship. Now I want to point out one final thing here in this particular teaching. If you look at the verse Jesus is quoting from in Deuteronomy 6.13, it says, Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only, and take your oaths in His name. Now it's interesting that Jesus quotes it using the word worship, but the original uses the word fear. Now this shows us that fearing God is also worshiping God. Worship is multidimensional. Also, sometimes we hear that fearing God means just revering Him, not actually fearing Him. This idea of fear only meaning honoring or revering God is incomplete. Yes, to fear God is to revere Him, but it's also to tremble before Him. Psalm 99.1 says, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let us get a fresh awakening of the fear of God in our lives, both to revere and tremble before His great name. So, the first stage of the Holy Spirit we find in our Luke 4 passage was Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Now, we will pick back up in the next episode to continue in part two and completing out this uh, series of the three stages or phases of the Holy Spirit. So I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. I pray that it's a blessing. 
and I will see you on the next one. God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.